Welcome to Full Spirals, a podcast about how life can take you for a spin, but still leave you grounded. Stories of hope and healing through the arts and the absolute deliciousness of being human. I'm your host, Stacey Parrish. So this month's episode, we are starting out with a question. Here goes. Can you recall moments in your childhood where you were just on a mission? Where even as a little kid, you could feel it in your bones that this thing you were doing was yours to do just because it like gave you so much juice? Or can you recall things that you yearned for or yearned to do but always seemed to be out of reach? Or maybe they were just taken away too soon? Now, I'm not talking about the shoulds or the have-tos that your parents, teachers, friends, anybody like that assigned to you or things that were expected of you, but the want-to things, the thing that was all yours and you knew you were born to do it. And have you ever looked back and wished or thought, maybe someday... Well, as long as I can remember, all I ever wanted to do was perform. And when I was a little kid, that was my mission. My life as a performer started out early with concerts on the hearth of the fireplace, performing to the songs of the Partridge family and the Osmonds. I was like three, four years old, and I played a mean air tambourine. And I knew I was a star. And did I charge my parents admission? Yes, Yes, I did. But as I grew older, that confidence and that self-assuredness faded. And by the time I was 30, I hadn't ever really put it all out there on a stage. And as the years passed, my notion of ever being a professional performer faded too. There were decades that slipped away from me without my ever having the ability to A, truly embrace the truth about my desire to perform, or B, do anything proactive about it. But as the saying goes, three things cannot long be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. Well, certain truths can be tricky. And my story this month is about that kind of truth. So like I said before, when I was little, performing was my mission in life. In elementary school, I partnered up with my friend Trisha for the rec department talent review. We choreographed and danced a little soft shoe number to the good ship lollipop. I recall approaching my third grade teacher to allow me to put on a theatrical piece based on the board book version of Bambi. Yeah, I could see it all in my head. And I asked about producing it every single week. Like, why couldn't she get with the program? <laughs> it never happened. And my sister and I produced elaborate radio programs on tape recorders that we'd get every year for Christmas. And I actually still have those recordings, so you're in luck. I'll drop a few clips at the end of this podcast. It's stellar stuff, trust me. And around this same time, my dad bought our family a player piano, and I became obsessed. The lyrics for the songs were printed on the rolls and you could sing them as the song unspooled. So it was like this crazy anti-karaoke and I couldn't get enough of it. And I'd put on quote unquote concerts at the piano every chance I got. I'd belt out hard-hearted Hannah, the main Stein song and the Schnitzelbank song at the top of my lungs. And if I didn't entertain anybody else, I definitely entertained myself. Lastly, I entered just about every talent contest I came across when I was a kid, even my middle school talent show, which actually was a cruel and unusual puberty version of the gong show. Remember the gong show with Chuck Barris? Okay, so the act that I chose to wow the crowd? Upside down chin person. And let's just say that that act doesn't really lend itself to large venues. 
doesn't exactly translate in a gym filled with middle school kids kind of hell-bent on seeing the student council officers bring the hammer down or the gong. But for me, this was the big time. So there I was, hanging upside down on one of those school chairs from the 70s, the kind made of like molded sawdust with the big rivets on the seat. Two towels, one covering my upper body, one covering my lower body, and just my painted chin exposed. All this in the center of the Thomas Jefferson Junior High Gymnasium. Like, that's some serious commitment to the craft. And did I get gonged? Yes. Yes, I did. But basically from my teens on, singing in the shower and at that player piano in the living room were really all I ever did. I could never sing or perform in front of other people. It was just too scary and just too risky. Because in addition to landing on the lower end of the social ladder, I wasn't encouraged about my singing at home either. In fact, I was ridiculed for my voice. So as a result, I never auditioned for anything, but I always yearned to perform on a stage and always had an inner knowing that it's where I belonged. So in my 30s, while pregnant with my daughter, I took Julia Cameron's course, The Artist's Way, and I made the commitment to myself to finally try, to finally audition for something. So I did. I auditioned for my first show. I got a part and I fell in love. Although I began to perform in local theater productions, the dream to be a big deal, to make a splash, to be famous and perform professionally, that just continued to haunt me. It felt like a birthright to me. Then on Christmas Day in 2000, my sister Lynn surprised me with a trip to see Les Mis in New York. Now, neither one of us knew anything about the story, about the show, about the characters, and I really only knew one song. I knew the song on my own because it was in my range, and I yearned to play the character who got to sing that song someday. So when we went, I had about 90 days clean and sober, and my spirituality and faith in the universe was really in its infancy. And our trip that year was, in a word, divine. So when we got to the theater in March of 2001, we had these amazing front and center seats. Neither one of us could believe that we were in a Broadway theater about to watch a Broadway show. So excited. Although neither of us had ever seen the show, when the curtain came up, we were like instantly transfixed. If you know Les Mis, you know what I'm talking about. Look down, look down, you'll always be a slave. It's incredible. And as the story unfolded, we started whispering back and forth about our lives, about redemption, about this incredible story, because we didn't know anything about it. We were so geeked at the parallels it had to our own lives. She and I grew up in the same abusive home. So basically, we were crying for almost the entire first act. And one day more, at the end of the act, did us in. We're sobbing. So when the curtain came down, the guy in front of us actually turned around to make sure we were okay. Like, literally. We were that emotional. Both of us smoked at the time. So we went outside, had a cig, pulled ourselves together, just in time for act two. So act two began, and here was the song I'd been waiting for. My whole life, I felt as though I should have had a shot at performing professionally. And I felt like it should be me up on that Broadway stage singing on my own. I wanted so badly to be this young woman, for her life to have been mine. That was my part. I was jealous of her. I was resentful of my past. I was mad at God. So she started singing, and I waited for the note. You know, like the note. 
If you know that song, you know what I'm talking about. A world that's full of happiness that I have never known. Never before and never again will those words sound the same to me. A world that's full of happiness that I have never known. So in that instant, I got it. I wasn't supposed to be up there singing that song. She was. This was her part, and this was her time. I was supposed to be sitting next to my sister, who I loved and adored, and who had given me this amazing trip and this amazing gift to sit in this Broadway theater. And I had known plenty of happiness. I had overcome so much by getting clean and sober, and I had made it to Broadway in my own way. And this young woman had made it to Broadway in hers. Neither one of our paths was better or more valuable than the other. One was simply hers and the other was mine. And mine wasn't finished. There was still plenty of time for me to perform in my life. I had made it this far. I could do whatever I wanted. The only limitation now was me. And I was free. I finally felt free. And I came completely unglued sobbing harder than I had during the first act. So when the show was over and the lights came up again, the guy in front of us turned around again and he said something about this huge emotional reaction to the show. And I have no idea what we said back. It was all just incomprehensible crying. (laughs) No clue. And after that, I just really needed to get outside and smoke again. So while standing outside, my sister Lynn suggested we go to the stage door, and I didn't really want to. I had just had this heavy-duty breakthrough, for God's sake. But she talked me into it. When we got to the stage door, this van pulled up. And who gets out of the van but the guy who had been sitting in front of us? He and his wife were there to pick up their daughter, who had just performed in the show, as young cassette. And when he saw us, he was like, oh my God, you two again? He asked his wife to take us backstage. And when we got there, young cassette took us on a backstage tour of the theater. We saw the candlesticks, the big red flag, the barricade, the whole works. It was so cool and so surreal to be led through the theater by a little girl who was already living her dream. Once we got to the stage, I walked out to the edge where Eponine, that character, had sung her solo. And I stood there for just a moment and looked out. And I can still see the seats when I think about it. There I was. I was standing center stage on Broadway. I couldn't believe it. I had begun that evening as a woman who had always wondered what if things had been different. And in this moment, they were different. And I broke into the best time step I could manage. So this was my first and possibly only chance to stand on a Broadway stage. And damn it, I was going to dance. The story I told myself about my life up until that point starred me as the victim. The questions I asked myself over and over again all began with, why? Why me? Why did I get abused? Why did I have to get sober? Why hadn't my family supported me? And why hadn't I ever had a chance to shine? And now that I was clean, sober, and present, what this young woman's performance did was transform me. And why is one of the most pointless questions to ask. Because the truth was, my life had unfolded exactly the way it was supposed to, so that I could grow strong, inspire others, and appreciate all that I had. 
So we're going to finish up today with some listener mail. I got an email from B, and B asked, When did you first realize that spirals were a recurring theme in your life? So I would have to say, was actually when I first got into recovery, there was a speaker that talked about how we tend to spiral in and spiral out. So at times, we're kind of spiraling in towards ourselves, needing to conserve our energy because we're learning really difficult lessons and we need to bring people into our circle to help support us. And then there are other times where we've learned a lesson and we begin to spiral out so that we can extend our hands out and help people with the lessons that they're learning. So that's when I first noticed it. And it sort of went from there to the deeper spiral lessons that I talk about on this podcast. So thanks so much, B, for sending that question. And if you have a question that you want to ask, feel free to email it to me at boomstacy one at gmail.com. That's boom, B-O-O-M, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, and the number one at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. And please remember to rate, review, and share Full Spirals with your friends, your fam, the community, because we're all in this together. Till next time, take care. Good afternoon. The Milwaukee noon temperature is 61 degrees. 61? That's pretty good. Especially for April. Well, here, let's call the time now. Good afternoon. Your telephone company brings you the correct time. 12, 15, and 50 seconds. I have to be at work in 15 minutes. The mini show is going to be on the air, so stay tuned. It's time... For Munch Out. Yes, the show that tells you what food to serve <laughs> over the holiday. <laughs> I'm back. Back in the Christmas groove. This is Guy Smiley and the whole Christmas staff wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Hello, it's time for... Our first story is on why do people ring little bangers and little tootie root tooties on New Year's Eve. The report is by Lynn, reporting from New Year's Clutch. I'm back, wrong son. We have been having a few reports lately on rooty toot toot toots. <laughs> there has been a wild case of these rooty toot toot toots. They have been... Ben. <laughs>